It's Thursday, so that means it's time for another episode of the Worry Less, Pray More show. Chris and I hope everyone out there had a very Merry Christmas, and we just want to wish you a very Happy New Year. So we're going to do something a little bit different today. Because of the Christmas holiday that has just passed and now New Year's is quickly approaching, I thought it might be a good time to give Chris the week off. So we hope you enjoy the sermon from a few weeks back at Coastal Christian Ocean City. Here's Chris. All right. Well, as you've seen in the video, we're talking about experiencing the good hand of God. Experiencing the good hand of God. Have you ever heard the phrase, the hand of God? People say it. You know, it's in the hands of God, right? Or that was nothing but an act of the hand of God. You know, something you see something miraculous happen, you say, that was nothing but the hand of God in that situation. Maybe you were spared from a car accident or whatever it may have been. But here's the thing. The Bible has plenty to say about the hand of God. Matter of fact, I found myself in doing research for this message, 1,250 references to the hand of God. All throughout the Bible, it's used in various ways and many different applications. The hand of God, that is, is used. For example, in Isaiah 66, 2, it says this, my hands have made both heaven and earth. Psalm 95, 4 says, he holds in his hands the depths of the earth and the mightiest mountains. Second Chronicles 29, 12, we read, wealth and honor come from you alone. For you rule over everything. Power and might are in your hand. And usually in the scriptures, we see the hand of God moving and guiding and coming upon certain individuals in extraordinary ways. It's amazing when you do this study. Kind of like Elijah, for example. The prophet Elijah says in 1 Kings 18, 46, the hand of the Lord, look at this, came upon Elijah girded up his loins, and he ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Elijah physically outran a king's chariot because the hand of God came upon him. Other biblical examples show that how God's hand is used to deliver folks from trouble and protect them in times of danger. Times when the hand of God is seen providing such things as protection, provision, and even breath. Psalm 145, 16 says, You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. It all comes from the hand of God. And also, of course, there are other times in the Bible when we see the hand of God resisting people and armies and even whole nations. Occasions when the hand of God is described to be stretched out against something. In other words, restraining, resisting, and even destroying Exodus 3.20 says, So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in its midst. Talking about when the children of Israel were held as slaves in Egypt. God said, I'm going to stretch out my hand and strike them, and they will let you go. But this morning, I want to hone in on uh, a verse, and it's found in Nehemiah. And before I go to the verse, Nehemiah, of course, is the one in the Bible who went and rebuilt the wall and... Uh, in order to do that, Nehemiah needed supplies. He needed timber. He needed workers. He needed all kinds of things. At the time, he was working for a king. And look what happened in Nehemiah 2.8, how he got all his supplies and got everything he needed. It says, and the king granted them to me, everything he needed because, why? Because the good hand of my God was on me. The good hand of my God was on me. The question, though, is, why 
was the good hand of God on Nehemiah? Or why does the good hand of God come upon anybody for that matter? Psalm 44, I think, answers that question and will lead us down a path to experiencing God's good hand because there is a path. Listen to Psalm 44, verse 2 with me. I love this uh, set of verses. You drove out the nations with your hand, but them you planted. He drove out other nations with his hand, and Israel he planted. You afflicted the peoples and cast them out by his hand. Verse 3, for, you, for they, Israel, did not gain possession of the land by their own sword, nor did their own arm save them. It wasn't them. They were equipped, had swords, they fought, but they realized it wasn't them. It was God's hand. Listen to the rest of the verse. But it was your right hand, your arm, and the light of your countenance. And don't miss this last part. Why? Why did God do that? Because you favored them. Favored them. Yes, God favored them and took care of them as an act of his hand. The secret to experiencing God's good hand, because you can experience God's hand, and it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be good, but the secret to experiencing God's good hand is to learn how to attract God's favor. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Doesn't mean you've got to be perfect to attract God's favor? No. It does mean that you have to be purposeful. Perfect, no. Pers purposeful, yes. You see, there are many people in the Bible who experience God's favor and experience God's good hand. And there was one man who was, wasn't even close to being perfect who experienced God's favor, and his name was David. Let's look at Acts 7, verses 45 and 46. It says, after receiving the tabernacle, our ancestors under Joshua brought it with them when they took the land from the nations God drove out before them. It remained in the land until the time of David who enjoyed God's favor and asked that he might provide a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. Remember back in Psalm 44, we just wrote, God's hand drove out nations for a reason. Scripture told us because he favored them. Now we're reading in the book of Acts about an imperfect man who committed adultery, who committed murder, yet enjoyed God's favor. What can we learn from David that will help us attract the favor of God and activate God's good hand in our lives? You know, I kind of look at things always as a detective, because that's what I was, a detective in New Jersey State Police, specifically a crime scene detective, and I was called upon many occasions to figure out what happened in this situation. Why was that door left open? Why is that shoe over in that corner and not over here with this shoe? Why is this? Why is that? So my mind tinkers like that sometimes. And even when I read scripture, I can't get away from it. And I'm looking at David and I'm saying, why was I go into that detective mode? Why was the favor of God on this imperfect man? And why was God's good hand activated on so many other individuals? We can learn a lot from David and all those others. But it seems to me in my detective mindset that God's favor comes before God's good hand. If you look at the scriptures, you'll see that. God's favor comes before God's good hand. But what comes before God's favor? Because that's really the question this morning. If God's favor comes before God's good hand, what in the world 
comes before God's favor? I think it's one word, devotion. In other words, a devotion so strong that it says one thing to heaven, one thing to God. Lord, I love you. I love you. David enjoyed God's favor. Why? Because David loved God. And there's evidence of that. David was willing to do this. Listen, you know what David was willing to do? Anything God asked him. Actually, David is the only man recorded in the whole Bible that God had ever said this about. Look with me at Acts 13, 22. And when he had removed him, talking about King Saul, he removed King Saul and he raised up for them David as a king to whom he gave testimony, I mean, to whom God said this about. I have found, meaning he searched, remember 2 Chronicles 16, 9, God's eyes range through the whole earth looking for a heart that is devoted to him. And look, God says in Acts 13, 22, I found David, a son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. Why? Who will do all my will. Was David perfect? No. But David had a heart bent on pleasing God. He made mistakes. David had a black belt in confession. He repented. But his heart always came back to pursuing God. I submit to you as evidence that anyone who seeks to do God's will above their very own will run head on into the favor of God. In other words, someone who's made a choice to put God first for a reason because they love God will experience the favor of God or their motive is they love God. The truth about God's favor is this. God's favor is not free. It's a clear byproduct. Scripture shows us that it's a byproduct of a heart that is strongly devoted to God. And time does not allow me to talk about Moses, who spoke to God face to face, or Joseph, Daniel, Abraham, even Mary, who when the angel Gabriel showed up in Mary's life, you know what he said? Mary, he said, you're not just favored, you're highly favored by the Most High God. If you were thinking God's favor just falls on certain folks, like pixie dust at Disney, you're sadly mistaken. Listen, if God's favor is on you, there's a reason. And it has everything to do with your loving devotion, your loving obedience towards him. In other words, it's the reason you do something boils down. If the reason you do something boils down to because you love the Lord, it gets God's attention. Don't believe me? I'm going to show you another verse with one word in it. Read with me 1 John 3.22. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because, that's the one word, the reason. We keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. The word because, the definition of because means it's the reason for that. It could be like you're saying the boy missed school because he was ill. The reason the boy missed school is because he was ill. The reason 1 John 3.22 says, whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Take like speeding, for example, or your taxes. Maybe you do your taxes correctly. And the reason you do your taxes directly is because you don't want to get jammed up by the IRS. 
Who does? Or you do your taxes correctly because you love the Lord. If you change your motivation with certain things, simple things in your life, your life is radically going to change. What if you obey the speed limit in the state of New Jersey because you don't want to get your license jacked up? You don't want points on your license. You don't want to pay a fine. Or you do it because you love the Lord. What if you pick trash up in a bathroom because you're a neat freak? Or you do it because you love the Lord. Do you see the difference? Do you see how a quick change in your motivation changes everything, especially in heaven, and gets God's attention? Here's another verse that goes hand in hand with what I'm saying and gets God's attention. Look at Deuteronomy with me, 529. Oh, the verse starts out. Remember when Jesus said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Look at this one. Oh, that they had such a what? Heart. It's all about the heart. That they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep my commandments that it might go well with them. God wants us to obey him. Why? So it'll go well with us, not with him. He's already good to go. Obedience gets God's attention. Don't let anybody or anyone tell you any different. It always has and it always will. To fear God means to respect him and to put him first, to love him. But let me give you this disclaimer. I'm not saying that if you love the Lord with a strong, devoted heart that you'll never experience any trials or that you'll get everything that you want or that you won't have any pain or hurt or even wonder, what in the world, Lord, are you doing in my life right now? Many of us who love the Lord go through pain, heartache, like David, Joseph, and Job. Remember those guys? Joseph was sold into slavery by his own family, and he loved the Lord, and then thrown in the prison because he obeyed the Lord. But in the end, second in command to Pharaoh. Job loved God. Satan challenged God to have access into Job's life, destroyed his life, all because he was devoted to God. But in the end, Job was blessed tenfold, and the Bible says his daughters were the, the most beautiful women in all the land. Why? Because God respects your obedience and doesn't dismiss it. And I'm not saying that an absence of God's favor in your life, because not every Christian experiences the favor of God. I'm not saying that an absence of God's favor is an absence of God's love. I could picture God standing with me right now saying, and I point to him, what about this one, Lord? Love him. Love her. This one, Lord? Love him. Love her. But, but over here, Lord, this one's always doing things that please you, going out of their way, even suffering to please you. I can picture God saying, I love that. You see, you can't earn God's love. I want to be clear on that this morning. You can't. You already have it. It's unconditional, not based on condition. We're not talking about earning God's love. We're talking about attracting God's favor. There is such a thing as God's favor, and it activates God's good hand. But this is huge. It's your choice. Your choice. Maybe your love for God has grown cold a little lately. And maybe you didn't know this. That's your most powerful weapon. Your most powerful weapon that you possess is pumping blood through your body right now. 
and it's your heart. You know why? Because God's heart gets God's attention, or your heart gets God's attention like nothing else on earth. It's all about the heart and how it beats for the Lord. My point is this, and I challenge everybody here today, myself included, what if, what if, well, check this out, what if we planned to please God? What if we plan? We plan vacations, right? We plan to save money. We write up budgets. We plan to get in shape. We plan to lose weight. We plan to purchase something. What if we plan to please God? What if we were proactive and laid it out on paper? Who does that? Who plans to please God that you know of? I don't know many who do, myself included. But what if we did? What if we adopted one goal and then created a plan, a physical plan to achieve that goal? Businesses do that, right? People do that. There's many books written about how to achieve your goals. What if your goal happened to be the greatest commandment that ever existed? Do you know what that is? Read with me. Matthew 22, verse 36. Verse 36 says, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? The greatest commandment. Verse 37, Jesus replied, Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Church, that is your highest calling. It doesn't get any higher. To love God with all my heart, mind, and soul. Man, if we could narrow our focus to that one goal, to please God in every area of our lives, then we would see God's hand upon our lives. And here's a little five-step plan because I don't have a whole lot of time up here today, but I do have five little action steps. Your plan to experiencing God's good hand. And first is what I would call direct connect. What does that mean? It means you connect to God not as a God, but as a father. You have to know God as a father through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at this, Ephesians 1.5, one of my favorite verses. God decided in advance to do what? To adopt us. If that don't blow your mind, look what it says. To adopt us where? Into his own family. It says he made a decision a long time ago to adopt us into his own family. How does he do it? How does he bring us to himself? Through the means and the mechanism of Jesus Christ. He put his son on a cross, sent his son through the womb of a virgin, out into a desert without food, to face Satan for 40 days, to be tempted to sin. Jesus remained sinless so that we could know him as a father. You put your faith, you confess your sins, you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Forget about being religious. Forget about coming to church. You accept God through Jesus Christ as your Father and, and the Lord allow him to be your Savior. He'll forgive you of your sins. Ephesians 4.30 says he'll mark you with his Holy Spirit, meaning when the demons and the angels look upon you, you could be walking in the Hamilton Mall today and the demons and angels say, that one, that one, I see that one, that, whoa. That one's a child of God. They can see it. We can't see it. 
you can't see it, but you're adopted into the very own household, it says in Ephesians. That's the first step, direct connect to God as a father through Jesus Christ, his son. Two, divide and determine. Divide your life. What if we did this? Divide your life and determine what, God, what pleases God in each area. Meaning, okay, I'm going to take a piece of paper. I'm going to put my marriage on it. I'm going to put my job on it, where I work, who I work for. I'm going to put my finances on it. I'm going to put my raising my kids on it. I'm going to put my fitness on it, my body on it. I'm going to divide my life into as many areas as I can. Then I'm going to do one thing. I'm going to carefully determine, as it says in Ephesians 5.10, what pleases God in all these areas. Instead of praying, Lord, fix my marriage. Lord, fix my finances. Lord, teach me how to budget. Teach me all this. What if I just changed everything and just went, Lord, teach me how to please you with my finances. Teach me how to please you in the way that I eat. Teach me how to please you in my marriage. Teach me how to please you in the way I raise my children. That would change everything. Because God would say, I'm going to show you. You want to please me? I'm going to show you. Amen. Divide and determine. Three, renew until it's like glue. Hey, the Lord gave me these names. <laughs> I saw them all week on this message. Renew until it's like glue. What in the world, Chris? All right, I'll tell you. It's renewing your mind with the word of God. Picture a sponge. You're dipping a sponge in water and soap on it, and you're rubbing it on your head. The word of God cleanses you and renews your mind. Renewing your mind means to make it new. How? Listen to Psalm 119, verse 11. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Where do you hide it? That special place again that keeps coming up in this message. Your heart. That's threefold. You memorize scripture. You study scripture. And then you think about scripture as it says in Joshua 1, 8. To the point that God says, not me, God says, then your ways will become prosperous and successful. James says, a doer of the word is blessed in whatever he does. I guarantee if you look at all your major mistakes in your life, you look at them and compare them to the word of God, that's where you veer it off, right where the word of God was. Said, do this, and you did that. I'm, I'm a product of that. But if I did the word, if I was a doer of the word in every area of my life, I would be successful. So the word of God, what if we studied the word of God with a passion? Deny and rely is the fourth one. Deny and rely. Deny your ungodly desires by relying on the Holy Spirit to provide you with something special. Power. That's where the power comes to live the Christian life. You can't do it in your flesh. You can't do it on your own. God says, I, don't, I gave you something as a gift, and it's called my Holy Spirit. So you deny those thoughts. You're walking through the mall. You're walking in a restaurant. You're seeing something that you shouldn't be looking at. Here's what you do. You make the choice, and God provides the power. God will not provide the power if you don't make the choice. I have a hybrid car. That means I have two motors under the hood. One's electric, one's gas. Sometimes I get 60 miles to the gallon. Other times, I get 20. It's my choice. How I operate those two motors and which motor I lean on at any time is my choice. If you're a child of God this morning, you have something precious inside of you. Doesn't mean that that power is activated. You activate that power by a choice, then the power comes. Galatians 5.17 says, For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these two are what? contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. One of them has to lead. 
And there'll be different fruit in your life depending on which one leads. But you cannot live a life pleasing to God and see God's favor living in the flesh. You make the choice, you say no, and God says go in his power. Deny and rely. Fifth, don't be like a mule. <laughs> don't be like a mule. Chris, don't call me a mule. Don't be, Mike, don't be like a mule, but drain the fuel. Read with me 30, Psalm 32, 9. Do not be like a horse or like a mule. So you thought it was just me. It's the Bible telling you that. Don't be like a horse or like a mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with a bit and brittle, else they will not come near you. Sometimes we won't come near God because we're stubborn. Sometimes we won't do the word of God because we're stubborn like a mule, right? Anybody ever call you stubborn? I've been called stubborn. Stubborn like a mule. So what do we do? We got to drain the fuel, the fuel of the flesh. You ever see a race car, NASCAR going around a track? I went to Dover International Speedway, my first live NASCAR race. Went down by the fence for a second, and I seen these cars. I was at the apex of the curve. Choo, 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 choo. Going by me at like 100 and some odd miles an hour, almost 200. Incredible. But you take one of those race cars, $500,000 race car, you drain its gas tank, and where's it going? As powerful as it is, it ain't going anywhere. Our flesh wants to smoke cigarettes, wants to eat things that it's not supposed to eat, wants to think things that it's not supposed to think, wants to look at things it's not supposed to look at, and unless you drain the fuel... It's going to keep going around that track. How are we going to drain the fuel? Fasting. Fasting takes the mule out of the flesh, humbles the flesh, and allows you to live for God at your best. Fasting is powerful. It's talked about all through Scripture. Look at Ezra 8.21. Then I proclaimed a fast there that we might Humble ourselves. Humility will take out the stubbornness out of your flesh. When you fast, you get humble. Humble and humility attracts the favor of God. Remember what it says in James? God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Fasting helps that happen. To me, fasting is like a linebacker who, who just tackles your flesh and says, not today, right? Fasting, here's what I would say about fasting. It's not commanded but it's expected. I would seek a doctor, get your clearance. There's all types of different fasts. There's a fast called the Daniel fast, where it's just water and vegetables. There's a straight up water fast. There's a straight up TV fast. Me and my family did that for 40 days last year. There's all kinds of fasts you can do that draw closer to God and bring humility into your life. Fasting is powerful. That's what I got to say about that. So a few steps, amen. A few steps there that'll help you Live a life more pleasing to God. Actually, I call it this, that'll help you live the 12-3-1 principle. What in the world is a 12-3-1 principle? Twelve disciples went with Jesus Christ just about everywhere. The 12 represent to me the whole body of Christ, the whole pile of us all throughout the world. 12-3-1. Then there were only three that went certain places with the Lord. You remember them? Peter, James, and John. Went to the transfiguration and seen Jesus get transfigured and come into his glory. Also went to the house of Jairus and seen this little girl get raised from the dead. Only three, not the whole 12, Peter, James, and John. 
a group that seems to be more set apart than the rest, just a little closer to the Lord's heart. But listen, then there was one, John, the Bible says, the one whom Jesus loved. Guess where John's head was always at? If you read the Bible, in the chest of Jesus Christ. John's head was always in Jesus' chest, close to what? His heart could be the heart, here the very heartbeat of God. Wouldn't, shouldn't that be our goal? Our goal should be that, to get so close to God that we hear the very heartbeat of God, that we know the very heartbeat of God, and that we do the very heartbeat of God. That should be our goal. Yes, what if we plan to become something? Check this out. What if we all planned from this day forward to become something that God has not seen? Be like, what? God has seen everything, Chris. He's God. Listen, God has seen a David. God loved David. A man after my own heart, God said. God has seen a Moses, spoke with Moses face to face. God has even seen an Enoch. Who's Enoch? I'll tell you this about Enoch. Enoch, the Bible says this, walked with God 300 years, and he had a reputation written in the Bible, and it says this, he pleased God. Guess what God did with Enoch? Only two people in the Bible, Elijah and Enoch, were taken from this earth without seeing death. But what if you took the time and you planned to become something that God has not seen. Picture God in heaven with me, talking with the angels and saying, you guys got to see this. I've seen a David. I've seen an Enoch, God speaking. But look over here, Gabriel. Look over here, Michael. I have not seen in thousands of years. I have not seen a Mary or a Joseph or a Billy or a Carol or a Sally. No one has taken the time out of their life to please me like this one. you got to see it. Stop singing, Gabriel. Put that horn down. Come over here. Look right here. Obedience gets God's attention. What if you took the time and you planned with passion to become something that God has not seen, something that when you die and you pass from this earth, could you imagine this? You go into heaven and the angels whisper about you, and they say, yo, Gabriel, come here, man. That's the one. That's the one. That's the one that pleased God more than anyone. You can, and it doesn't matter where you're at right now. It doesn't matter what you've committed. The blood of Jesus can overcome any sin. You can start fresh today. You can rededicate your life, or you can give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ for the first time today. And you can plan to please God. And the favor of God can come upon your life. What if you pursued God so passionately, loved him so intently, and planned to please him on purpose that you became the one, the one that pleased God more than anyone? I'll tell you what would happen. Your name would be on the lips of angels. You would be in the heart and mind of God. And the good hand of God will become upon your life like nothing else we've ever seen. Strive to become the one. Don't walk out of this church without that goal. Adopt that goal. It'll honor God. 
as you strive to become the one. God bless you guys. This has been the Worry Less, Pray More show. For any more information on anything Chris is up to, you can go to GodTaughtMe.com or download the Worry Less, Pray More app available in the App Store or Google Play. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week.